Well, hello, and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Um, I suppose each week how this podcast comes together is a combination of experiences I have, experiences I've had in the past, I suppose, that I, I reflect upon, but also kind of little snippets of things I see each week. And this week, um, I received an email, and, and it, it got me thinking again. Um, I don't know how many of you um, are engaged with the platform Medium. It's a writing platform, primarily, full of stuff about photography and design and art and all sorts of different subjects. Um, something you might want to check out. But I've been posting uh, articles on Medium for the last few years, and uh, therefore as being part of Medium, as always in, in the world in which we live, they get my email address and in return they send me emails. And I got one this week and uh, it was a link to an article that they thought I might be interested in. Uh, the description of the article uh, goes like this. Gone are the days when you had to visit a gallery or art museum to see inspiring, thought-provoking photography. Instead, today's creatives are taking advantage of social media like Instagram to share their work, build their audience, and engage with fans, other artists, and brands. Well, anybody who listened to the podcast a couple of weeks ago will uh, remember that I was talking about the, uh, I suppose, the use of Instagram by a lot of younger photographers today uh, instead of a instead of a, a website, and. So that's okay, and that's something we discuss and we talk about. The bit that really got me, I suppose, concerned and sort of made me want to talk about it was was that line whereby gone are the days where you had to visit a gallery or art museum. Anybody involved in education, a, a higher uh, education at university level, will know that this is a time of year where uh, we're all interviewing students. And one of the questions I always ask students when they come for interview to sort of gauge their level of engagement with the with the subject that they want to spend three years studying is what was the last exhibition you went to see or what were recent exhibitions you went to see? Increasingly, the answer to that question is I've never been or I don't go. At best, I'll get an answer of a couple of the big blockbuster shows, shall we say, um, where they've been to with their school or their college. So what we're talking about here is a whole generation growing up who are not actually perceiving photography as anything other than the backlit image on the screen. Gone are the days. Well, no, surely not. What we should be talking about here is that Instagram and looking at work on Instagram or on social media and in other platforms should be an instigator to make people go out and look at work. What was interesting also is that um, I don't live that far from London and the university I lecture at isn't far from London. And a lot of the students I interview come from London. And yet... Um, despite the many, many students I've interviewed since Christmas, not one has been to the Photographer's Gallery. Most of them had never heard of the Photographer's Gallery. So what's the Photographer's Gallery doing wrong that it's not reaching out to these people or making itself known to these people? 
And that makes me think, well, are we in a situation here whereby the galleries are actually existing and perhaps even spaces where we all have exhibitions of our work? Are we reaching out to a broad enough and a wide enough audience to encourage people to come in and see work within the gallery space, within the museum space, within any kind of space, actually, that we can engage with photography in a way other than that on a screen? I just think this is so, so important. How many of you listening today can remember those exhibitions that so shaped the way in which you perceive photography when you were younger or even, you know, recently. That whole experience of visiting a space and actually being in that space and exploring the photography within that context is invaluable. So I just really hope that um, we turn this around. But I've got a horrible feeling that that isn't going to happen. One of the things also that's happened to me in the last week is a few kind of workshops about how to do things. Again, and it's not, I think this may be a slightly academic-leaning um, episode, but if you are an academic, or I bet if you're employed in any kind of company, there's nothing that uh, people enjoy more than to get you into a workshop to teach you how to do something that you've already been doing for a long time or you already know how to do. But anyway, one of the things that came out of it, which um, was interesting to me at the workshops I've been to recently, the situation whereby so many people are saying, uh, I hate social media. And then talking about that they do it and they're involved with it, but they hate it. I don't hate anything really. And I really don't hate social media. But tied with that is this kind of belief that the young understand tech and old people are not as good at it as the younger people. And I can certainly from my own personal experience recognise that this just is not true. In effect, what we're talking about with social media is publishing. And publishing goes way back. And there are many of you listening to this uh, podcast who've been involved in publishing for many years. And actually, there are many people I know who are really engaged with social media who are doing it all themselves. It's incredible how many younger people I meet who don't really understand Instagram or don't really sort of understand, and certainly are not on Twitter. Um, they've not discovered LinkedIn really. And so this idea that they may be using some form of text messaging or perhaps TikTok or whatever, but to put it down as a young person thing, I think is to really misunderstand everything that's kind of possible with social media and all the things you can do. So I suppose what we're talking about here is that idea that we need to embrace all platforms, but perhaps the one most important of all is the platform of meeting and showing work away from a screen. As I say every week, I really try to keep a, a very broad church of photographers uh, contributing. And this week, I think we've we've really uh, we've, we're sort of following on with that um, that tradition. Seth Lower is a San Francisco-based photographer who studied for his BFA at the University of Michigan before completing his MFA at the San Francisco Art Institute 
in 2008, an education that led him to be appointed as a visiting artist lecturer at the University of Missouri, Columbia in 2012, and as artist in residence stroke lecturer at Taipei National University of the Arts, Taipei, Taiwan in 2009. His work has been exhibited on multiple occasions worldwide within group and solo shows and as numerous publications. He was also created, sorry, he has also created three books from his projects. One, Man with Boy and Other Tales in 2010, published by Little Brown Mushroom. Uh, The Sun Shone Glaringly by The Ice Plant in 2014. And Units, published by Mac in 2019. His work is held in public collections, including the Palais de Beaux-Arts, Vine, in Vienna, Austria, uh, the Museum of Modern Art Library in New York, and the Kuandu Museum of Fine Arts, Taipei, Taiwan. Photography is obviously not limited to interfacing with the external or the outside world, and it's not unique in its ability to do so. Film and video also have this. But given that as a preferred way of working, it sets up a game that, almost like a sport, values a sinking of the inner and the outer or personal and shared experience. This is a melding of mind and body or intuition and planning. And it's a direct relationship between the receiver or the person taking the picture and the larger circumstances. And this ranges from the grandiose, like the sun in the sky, shadows moving at different times and different seasons, to the mundane and the local, like the seemingly random actions and choices and accidents that set the stage uh, or offer the players that make up the picture. This game requires us to consider ourselves, the places and the people around us in the world we are in how we perceive it, how we engage with things, time, vision, communication, culture, and so on. What I would call the real or the essential. And that's not to say that what it gives us is real, only that it questions it and allows me to engage and meditate on it. And it can feel like a revelation or almost a spiritual encounter at times to find myself in the exact place and time where circumstances align to not only feel the meaning, but to be able to draw it together within a frame. And what stills do so well, which is unique, is brought about by their failure to capture real life. So by this limitation, by slowing things down or limiting them to an imperfect facade of description, they become perfect hosts for other uh, enterprises. They are at once the reality as we understand it and also a new thing. This new thing, which because of its stillness, its limited perspective, and because of our residual associations with or approaches to reading photographs, specifically in picture text, i.e. image caption context like newspapers, has an automatic magnetism that has the potential for really surprising leaps to take place. So in short, whether this leap is done from picture to picture or from text to picture or from picture to life, I'm obsessed with this idea that our present state and its accumulated stockpile of thoughts, uh, perceptions, and general being can coexist with the memory and imagination brought about by the still. This was obviously not the intent of the photograph when it was first invented. 
the goal was to be able to represent an idea or hold on to something or someone that is either unavailable or fleeting due to either a lack of access or to the nature of time. So this may sound naive, but why then didn't the advent of the moving picture completely eliminate the still photograph? Was it just nostalgia? Was it economics? Did we prefer the limited reality, one where we could choose our best sides or remember with bittersweet loss these moments of beauty? Or did its essential simplicity allow us to keep the important parts without clogging up our lives with unreviewable loads of information like maps bigger than the territory? Photographs are undeniably all of these things, uh, and still photographs have a haunting quality that few films can match. But at the same time, the still within the film context is often just a sketch or a precursor to a, a later feature-length production. There's an aspect of derision to the short film or the short story, and unquestionably to the script or the storyboard, uh, that is subservient as a mode of being to its um, more full-grown adult self. But I'm arguing here that the prototype, in this case, contains something that is not possible in the final product. And that thing exists because of a very peculiar and particular history uh, over the last 200 years in dealing with photographs. Thank you, Seth, for your contribution this week. It never ceases to amaze me that if we go back over podcast after podcast, everybody's been say, uh, set the same question. What does photography mean to you? And the responses are so diverse. And I think Seth's this week is probably the most theoretical we've had so far, but certainly no, no worse for that. And I think I've played that back a few times now because I think actually Seth's dealing with quite a few um, kind of issues and kind of, uh, I suppose you describe it as kind of viewpoints in a sense of what photography is that maybe some of us haven't considered before. And so by replaying it, it just kind of allows it to embed in our, in our minds so that we can reflect on it. And that's certainly what I've done with Seth's contribution. And um, I thank him for that contribution and certainly for, I suppose, making me think a little bit differently about what I do, which in a, in a way is the idea behind everything that we do here on the podcast. Anyway, moving on. One of the things I've noticed recently, and I don't know if this is just me, maybe uh, you can see if you've noticed also, but photo competitions don't seem to be as kind of exciting and as loud and as dominant as they, they were perhaps a few years ago. I'm getting the feeling that we're all getting a bit bored with them. And actually, the idea of paying to enter, some that pay to play that I've discussed on so many podcasts, maybe that's now starting to reach a, a point where we're all sort of saying, no, we don't want to enter anymore. They're not proving themselves as valuable um, situations to, to get ourselves involved with. So I don't know about that, but maybe you can you can help me out by suggesting uh, suggesting I should say whether or not my observation is a fact or, or not. Something that's certainly a fact, and it's been occurring over the last week. And if you're listening um, in the United States of America, I'm sure it's taking up most of your life. Is the impeachment of Donald Trump? 
and just a short while ago I, i've been writing a, a a big work um about memory and photography and revenge and all sorts of things and what I started to, uh, I suppose, recognise in so much of my reading is how much is written about uh, photography and memory. And those whole things, are, the whole discussion around photography as truth, as whether it's truth or what have you, are the two bigger subjects to discuss here on the podcast. However, what it did make me start to think was I was noticing that with the impeachment of Trump um, in particular, a number of people, including Trump, were, were denying knowledge that they'd ever met these people who claimed they'd met him. Then photographs started to appear, Instagrams, selfies, selfies that would be very, very difficult to actually manipulate, due, I suppose, to their, their lo-fi quality and the way in which they're, they're cropped and so forth. And those photographs were proving that, yes, actually, you did know Lev Parnas, and Lev Parnas did know Devon Nunes, and all of this kind of stuff. And then it started to make me think about another rather, or two extremely unsavoury characters to my mind, uh, Prince Andrew and um, Jeffrey Epstein. Again, photographs were coming out to prove time and place and who people had been with and so forth. That idea of photograph as evidence is of course not new however with the camera in the pocket the selfie and the instagram it's becoming something that is so mundane that actually the taking of the photograph perhaps by many of these people they're not really giving it the true consideration they should have done if they wanted to hide what they were up to Anyway, so interested was I in this thought process that I wrote an article about it. And it's on the United Nations of Photography website, so do check that out. Um, if you are up to something over the, the coming days, weeks, months, and you don't want someone to know about it, maybe the best thing to do is not have a selfie taken. But of course, the thing to do most of all is to take care. Mm -hmm.